Welcome to the I'm in Love with That Song podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brad Page. On most days, I forget where I put my keys. I put my glasses down somewhere, but I don't know where they are now. And I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but somehow I can remember who played bass for Foghat in 1977, and I can name all the original members on the first Average White Band album. These are not particularly useful life skills, but they do make me a suitable host for a music podcast. So thanks for joining me here on I'm in Love with That Song. On this episode, we're returning once again to the city of Boston to listen to a song by the band Boston, Hitch a Ride. We'll be right back after this. There's a song on the first Boston album called Rock and Roll Band, where they tell their story of playing in bars, living on the road, winning over the crowd on stage, and eventually getting discovered. It's a classic rock and roll story of paying your dues. One problem, though, that song is a complete work of fiction. None of that really happened. Boston signed a record contract before they even played their first gig. The thing is, the true story is really a lot more interesting than the myth. The band Boston didn't exist when their demo tape was being pitched to various record companies in 1975. These were just demos that guitarist and keyboardist Tom Schultz made in a basement with a couple of friends, although they might be the best-sounding demos anyone heard in 1975. Tom Schulz left Ohio and came to Boston in 1966 to attend MIT. After graduating, he landed a job at Polaroid, and in the evenings after work, he spent hours making recordings with his friend, drummer Jim Mazdia. A stream of local musicians would come and go, but mostly this was just Tom and Jim recording tracks in the basement. They weren't even all that interested in playing live. This was just about writing and recording those songs. Around 1970, vocalist Brad Delp came into the picture. Delp had a powerful voice and an amazing range. He had an uncanny ability to harmonize with himself. This was the perfect match for Tom's love of overdubbing and building tracks in the studio. They finally landed a management deal in 1975, but the managers weren't satisfied with Jim Mazdia's drumming, so he was fired. So when the management deal was inked, it was only Tom Schultz and Brad Delp's names on the paper. And when the quote-unquote band signed a deal with CBS Records, initially it was only their two names on the record contract, too. But CBS Records demanded that an actual band had to be put together, so Schultz and Delp recruited some of the musicians that had cycled through their home studio. Guitarist Barry Goudreau, bassist Fran Sheehan, and drummer Sib Hashian. Eventually, the three new members were written into the contract, but the legal battles weren't over. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. The record company also wanted the band to re-record all of the songs in a real recording studio. Tom Schultz, though, was always a control freak. 
and did not want anyone else's input. So Schultz sent the rest of the band to Los Angeles with the producer, John Boylan, while Schultz recorded the actual album in his home studio by himself. According to some accounts, besides Sib Hashian's drums, 90% of the tracks on the finished album were actually performed by Schultz all by himself. After the instrumental tracks were complete, Schultz brought the tapes to L.A., and that's where Brad Delp's vocals were added. It was at this point that they finally settled on a name for the band, Boston. In later years, lawsuits were filed by Goudreau, Sheehan, and Hashian regarding their level of participation in the band and on the record. Schultz sued the managers, CBS sued Schultz, and he sued them back. Years of depositions and courtroom battles ensued. Now, before we go on, let me pause for a minute for a little commentary here. Boston is usually considered to be corporate rock. In fact, Boston may be the original corporate rock band. However you define corporate rock, and let's face it, no band wants to be called corporate rock. It usually means this is music that's created for the masses with the widest possible appeal. It's dumbed down. It's designed just to sell the most copies of albums. Now, Boston did sell a bajillion copies of that first album, but the people who know Tom Schultz, even the people that don't like him, have always said that he's not really motivated by money. His lawsuits were really about control and not about money. The album wasn't made in a big, expensive studio. It's basically one guy in his home studio trying to capture his singular vision on tape. One guy working in his basement every night after work, bringing in a few friends to help. An album made without the help or input from a big record company. So really, depending on how you look at it, you could see the first Boston album as the most successful DIY independent album of all time. I'm sure that will irritate the hipsters, but there you go. Hitch a Ride was one of six songs on the original demo tape Schultz shopped around when he was trying to get a record deal. Back then, the song was called San Francisco Day and featured Jim Mazdia on drums, along with Brad Delp's vocals, and of course Tom Schultz playing everything else. The original demo is really not drastically different from the final version, though there are some differences. Let's listen to that demo. If you're familiar with the final released version, you'll notice some difference to the lyrics on the chorus here. So you get the idea. Pretty close to the album version. The keyboard solo is different. Uh, the album version is about a minute longer because they extend some parts. But that Boston sound, it's all there right in the demo. Let's get into the final album version. The song opens up with two acoustic guitars panned a bit to the left and the right, which provides some separation. It also gives some depth to the part. 
Both guitars are playing the same part, these descending arpeggiated chords. Arpeggio just means that you're playing each note one at a time rather than strumming the chord all at once. He's picking one note at a time on these four descending chords. After two passes through the guitar part, the vocals come in. And what really grabs me right off the bat is the way the vocal melody plays off the guitar part. There's night in New York City, smoke like water runs inside. What you have is a guitar part that's descending, but a vocal part that's climbing. Let's break that down. Here's the guitar part again, and listen to how the notes flow downward. Now let's listen to just the vocal melody and how it tends to rise upward in pitch. Day is night in New York City, smoke like water runs inside. He's multi-tracked his vocals, and of course there's plenty of reverb on it. All of that gives it that really rich sound. Let's go back and listen to the guitar and the vocals together again and see how those two parts really complement each other. Next, like all great arrangements, the vocals take off in another direction before it gets too repetitive. The guitar part stays the same, but the vocal melody evolves. It keeps your ear engaged. And now, after one short verse, we're at the chorus. The instrumentation is still pretty basic, just those guitars, bass, and drums. actually a really nice 12-string acoustic guitar part underneath the chorus. Let's just listen to that. Let's take a look at the vocal arrangement here. I see it as three different vocal parts, all of them multi-track to really thicken them up. First, there's the primary lines from the chorus. Gonna hit you right. Leave it all behind. Never change my mind. Gonna sail away. Freedom on my mind. Carry me away for the last time. Then there are the lines that come in between, sort of responding to the chorus. Gonna hit you right, head for the other side. Leave it all behind, never change my mind. Gonna sail away, sunlight's another day. Freedom on my mind, carry me away for the last time. 
And finally, there's a harmony part that's layered on top. Gonna hit you right, head for the other side. Leave it all behind, never change my mind. Gonna sail away, sunlight's another day. Freedom on my mind, carry me away for the last time. The chorus ends with that really nice harmonized oh yeah, and then there's a short instrumental section before we get into the second verse. Oh, yeah. The intro of the song was played on acoustic guitar, but here it's an electric. There is an acoustic guitar in the background, though, just reinforcing those main chord changes. Let's listen to that section again and then continue into the second verse. Let's listen to what the bass guitar is playing during the verse. Remember now that Tom Schulz is playing the bass part too. It's a really busy bass part through the whole song. Now most bass players play with their fingers, but I guarantee you he's playing this part with a pick. A clear sign that this is a guitar player who's playing bass. Check out what the guitars are doing during the chorus. Tom Schulz has a very specific approach or strategy for tracking guitar parts. There is almost always rhythm guitar parts in stereo split on each side, often two separate guitars on each side with slight intentional variations in the timing and even in the tuning. He'll actually tune some of the guitars slightly differently just to provide more distinction and separation between the parts. Sometimes there's one additional part in the middle. Here we've got acoustic guitars and electric guitars duplicating parts in both the left and the right channels. the first of two instrumental sections, starting with a killer organ solo. Again, it's Tom Schultz on the keyboards this time. He's primarily thought of as a guitar player, and rightly so, but this organ solo is right up there with something that John Lord or Keith Emerson would play.
Besides Brad Delp's vocals and Tom Schultz playing everything else, Sib Hashian is the only other player on this track. So let's give the man his due. Check out the great groove he lays down here before ending it with a gong. Now, if you go back and listen to that original demo, the keyboard solo leads right into a guitar solo. But in the final version, they add this transition, which was a really smart move because it really ramps up the drama and that sustaining feedback guitar it's one of my favorite moments in the whole song. Here's another difference between the demo and the album version. On the demo, the guitar solo just plays through to the end of the song, but here they reprise the chorus one final time before the closing guitar solo. Again, it's another smart decision because it not only reinforces the chorus, which is the hook of the song after all, but it also provides another point to inject more dynamics. By bringing the song back down to the acoustic guitar again, they can then build it back up for that epic finish. There's also a new guitar part added here. Here's where they bring it back down. and it starts to build back up again. Notice the hand claps. Now, let's talk about the guitars here. The guitar sound is an essential part, really a defining characteristic of the Boston sound. Once again, this is Tom Scholz playing all of the guitar parts here, but he really gives it the feeling of two guitarists almost dueling with each other. He does that by doing two things. One, obviously, is by overdubbing the tracks. He can overlap them a bit. The other is by using a different tone on each track. It's a combination of different degrees of reverb and delay and by boosting or cutting specific frequencies on each guitar track. What he's doing here with the guitar sound is taking a really overdriven, distorted, saturated guitar tone, most likely a Les Paul guitar through a Marshall amp, and focusing on a fairly narrow frequency range. Let's listen to just those guitar tracks to really hear the differences between them. Oh. 
guitars are going to switch to playing in harmony for a bit here. Notice how the rhythm guitars get heavier in the background now. While that guitar part is tearing it up, buried in the background is this little bit. You can't really hear that in the final mix, but I just like knowing that it's there. This last bass note is so deep. Brad Delp took his own life in 2007. He lived in Atkinson, New Hampshire, just about an hour from where I live. He was a legend around here, and his loss came as a real shock. I always thought that his vocals had great energy and real rock and roll swagger, but after he committed suicide, I hear these songs differently. Now, when I listen to these songs, I hear a sadness in his voice, a melancholy that I never heard before. Now, this brings up an idea that I've actually been wrestling with for a while. Was that sadness always there in this performance and I just didn't notice it before? Or is it me? Am I injecting something into these tracks now that was not originally there? What if it is just me? I literally hear these songs differently now, but am I just layering my own current emotions onto something that was quite different 40 years ago? What does that say about how we all hear music, how we internalize it? how we project our own feelings onto somebody else's songs. Though this album was recorded with excruciating detail, perfection, and fidelity, music is not static. It lives more between our ears than on the plastic or silicon that it's preserved on. Let's go back to the beginning of the song and listen to Brad Delp sing that first verse. Day is night in New York City Smoke like water runs inside Steal out of trees to pity Every living thing that's died Hitch a Ride by Boston People overuse the expression, soundtrack of my youth, but I grew up in Massachusetts and I was heading into the seventh grade when this album came out in August of 76. The sound of Boston was everywhere during those years. You couldn't escape it. I was just discovering rock music in those days, having just been captivated by Kiss that same year. And Boston was never one of my favorite bands, but their songs were just always there. 
Virtually every song on this album got significant airplay on New England radio. Every song was a hit here. So every track became ingrained in you. They were part of the oral landscape, and eventually you just took them for granted. And then radio overplays them, and you get sick of them. To be honest, by the mid-80s, I didn't care if I ever heard another Boston song again. But then I stopped listening to radio, which is one of the smartest decisions I ever made. And I started listening to this album again. I mean, really listening to the composition, the arrangements, the production. These are great songs with great vocals and just killer guitar playing. The arrangements and the harmony guitars are jaw-droppingly good. It should be no surprise this album is a classic. I want to thank Richard Drum Doc Drake, who not only is a listener of this podcast, but he's also a record producer, a drummer, and was personal friends with both Brad Delp and Sib Hashian. Both of them are gone now, but Richard is keeping their spirits alive, and his help with this episode was invaluable. So thank you, Richard. And thanks to all of you for listening. You can find me on Facebook if you'd like to leave a comment or a review. Just look for the I'm in Love With That Song podcast. You can find all of our past episodes on the website, lovethatsongpodcast.com. And this show is part of the Pantheon podcast family of music-related podcasts, so please check out some of the other shows on the network. That should keep you busy until I'm back with the next episode. There's night in New York City Smoke like water runs inside Still out of trees to pity Every living thing that's died to listen to the song again, complete and uninterrupted, stream it, download it, or buy it and support the music that you love. Gonna sail away.